you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Chasing Giants podcast with Don Higgins. I'm Terry Peer. This is episode 197. We're close to that 200 mark that we never thought was even possible, but we're going to air on November 26th, and we just finished up Thanksgiving holiday with our family, so I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, Don. I had a fantastic Thanksgiving. The the family was here and um, had plenty to eat. Everybody was doing good, so... Yeah, the uh, we, we got some good big news that we're going to share in just a little bit about one of Don's grandsons getting his first buck. But the big news of the week is on Thanksgiving morning, uh, you published the video of Babe produced by Steve Shields. And I think everybody agreed this was not, the you, you described it perfectly, this was not a normal hunting video. Uh, that the industry is used to seeing. Yeah, Steve worked his magic once again, and I'll tell you, that guy just never fails to amaze me, his talents, but um, I told him to run with it. I I didn't give him any direction whatsoever. He he knew what, uh, he knew my heart. He'd been around me enough this fall filming and such that he knew the way I wanted to go, you know, with my daughter fighting cancer and everything, and he did some interviews, and I, I mean, the way he put it together, it, it looks, it made me look a whole lot better as a on camera than I really am. I, there's a lot of pieces that were cut out of that interview and spliced together, and he just does a fantastic job. But the, you know, I've not heard one negative comment about the video. Um, all kinds of positive, just. It, it's been overwhelming hundreds and hundreds of, of positive comments uh, about it. And, uh, I mean, I was real happy with the way it turned out. The message is, is totally different than you're ever going to get from a hunting video. And, and that's what I wanted to convey. So 20 minute video, it aired on Thanksgiving morning. We're recording this on Saturday evening almost 20,000 views already. That's pretty special in itself. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the hunt, the the babe story part of this kind of goes over the 20 minutes. Um, the journey of not only this hunting, a specific buck, but the hunting season is really what the the video is about because the, the, the actual hunt footage is probably less than two minutes of it um walk us through kind of i know you said you turned you turned steve loose but walk us through kind of the overall feeling when you watched the video for the first time and 
Did your family get to see it before it aired? Walk us through that part of it. <laughs> well, I knew it was going to be a very emotional video. And, you know, Steve had shared a little bit with me. And, and you know, he told me when he was working on it, there's more. It, it's hit him like no other video he's ever produced. And he's produced a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and he said there's many times he had to take a break, you know, and wipe his eyes as he was putting this together. Um there was there's some footage of my daughter at chemo getting her chemo treatment my my son-in-law uh, filmed some of that whenever he went with her on a chemo treatment um as i told steve i mean he went he made sure that i wanted to see it before thanksgiving day with my family and i thought about it for a little bit and i thought i'm probably going to be an emotional mess watching it i, I probably need to pre-watch it and so he sent it to me the day before, and I think I watched it five times the day before to to try to, uh, you know, prepare myself for Thanksgiving Day when the whole family watched it. And it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work, I'll put it that way. Uh, you know, uh, everybody was trying to hold it together, I think, when it was playing there at my house on Thanksgiving Day, but... Uh, you know, I, I know it brought a lot of tears to people's eyes, and e- even the comments that you know I got, you know, grown men saying that they they had tears two or three different times with it while watching the video. And I posted one comment today on my social media that I'd got this morning, just a, a real touching comment from a young man. Um, that was a message he needed to hear, but I got so many of those. Uh, his was one, but there there was just a whole lot more of them, and some of them were left on on YouTube, you know, under the the video. But I got a whole lot more just personal messages from people. Some some people I knew, some people I didn't. Um, but the, the the video did exactly what I wanted it to. It it uh, I think it showed a side of me that most people don't get to see. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of a Steve called me. A stoic i'm stoic but uh he was actually steve was actually with me in the truck when i learned that my daughter had cancer he was here filming and uh i had called robin and she was on the phone and couldn't answer my call well as soon as she got she was on the phone with with andrea and she just learned on that call that you know andrea was diagnosed with cancer and so as soon as she gets off that call, she immediately calls me, and I'm in the truck with Steve, and my phone's hooked up to the speakers, you know, in the truck. And uh, Robin tells me, you know, that Andrea's got cancer. And uh, I, I was just, I was kind of speechless and numb. It didn't really hit me. The magnitude didn't really hit me at the moment. And Steve told me I was, I'm stoic. I'm a stoic person that doesn't show emotion. <laughs> And I think uh, a lot of people think that I'm that way, and they don't they don't see much emotion out of me. But there was a couple times on that video I had a hard time holding it together. Well, I, I got some comments about the whole thing. You and I have not spoken since Thanksgiving morning, and um, but first I want to thank our friend Steve. Um, you know he the amount of hours and time that he puts into to, to help us he's not compensated to the level that he needs to be obviously with that he does a lot of it uh, because he believes in what we're doing but 
you know, Steve is a great videographer. You know, he he knows his composition. He knows his light. You know, he can go in and take pictures and video, and he knows the technical side of it. But I really think where Steve's gift is is telling a story through video. You know, telling a story through video is is taking hours and hours of footage and being able to piece together with background music, with transitions, with lighting, with color grading, and setting a mood to, in this case, the goal of the movie was really to set priority of where we need to be as Christian men through the hunting industry and using a story of a buck to do that. So, um, you know, I know we don't do it enough, Mr. Steve Shields, but thank you uh, for uh, the work that you put into this. And you and I get to see Don a lot that most people don't see this side of it. And I'm just so grateful that you were able to show a side of Don that we know and probably see more often, but that, um, that other people don't, you know, um, as I watched it for the first time, I I've, I've been with Andrea since she's lost her hair. I've been with her while she's sick. So that, that side of it, I was kind of, I wasn't shocked by, but the first time that I lost it was actually, uh, they were standing behind the truck and Corey asked her, how are you feeling? And she said, good. And she said, I think she said, that's why I don't want to go in. And when Corey, when, as soon as she said that, Corey said, I love you. And all of those emotions from when my wife had cancer immediately came back when Corey said that uh, to Andrea. And I, I'm, I'm getting teared up right now, but um, for those people that, we deal with with Lester's feet or that listen to the podcast that are dealing with this kind of stuff, that gut wrenching emotion of, I think you even said it. I wish I could do it instead of her. Uh, just so powerful. But when Corey, when Corey said that, I love you. Um, I know that I'm not the only one that's had a wife with cancer and, and been through it, but boy, that really tugged. And then uh, I'll be honest with you, I was fine for the rest of it until it got to the end when you left the the text at the very end to my family, I love you. And what a cool opportunity for you through a video like that to really uh, send a message about how much you care for your family. That that was pretty special. I'm I'm glad that you could use your passion of deer hunting to really publicly you know, send that message and, and a, a appreciation to all of your family. I think, I know that had to be special for you. Yeah, I think it was, it was a perfect opportunity to do that, you know, and the, sometimes as, as men, it's hard for us to say, love you, you know, to, I mean, we can say it to our wives and we can even say it to our kids, but, you yeah. know, to the whole family, uh, to let them know and, you know what really amazed me about the whole thing was Steve took literally hours of footage and he took snippets of this footage over hours and he put this little clip after this little clip after this little clip after this little clip and blended it together, put the perfect music to it and was able to to touch the emotions of every single person that watches that video. Yep. So. Amazing. So uh, thank you, Steve. 
But uh, we got you got some really fantastic news tonight about your grandson, and yeah. I'm gonna let you break the news to this because we you just heard about this before we got on air. I did. My grandson Walker um, shot his first buck this evening with hunting with his dad Corey in Indiana. Um, a nice eight point buck. I guess we're gonna show the picture at some point here on the screen. But uh, yeah, I. <laughs> That guy, Walker is just a, uh, he's going to be an outdoorsman. I mean, Corey was telling me over the weekend, you know, they've been hunting there in Indiana, you know, some here recently when they can, and, and they've had some close encounters. And he's, Corey's telling me, Walker, he, he gets the shakes when them bucks are coming in, and he's just ate up with it. And uh, he, he got her done this evening, made a great hit on the buck, and said it only went about 60 yards, but uh, so proud of him. and. Um, just, I, I I mean, I'm almost speechless over the whole deal, but you know, I, I could have, when, when they were here for youth season in Illinois, Walker and Wyatt, I, I took Wyatt with me hunting on every hunt because Wyatt has shot two bucks already. And, uh, I think it's really important or thought it was really important that Walker be with his dad on, on when he shot his first deer. I, I didn't sure. want to. I didn't want to take that moment from Corey and Walker. I remember my first buck, and I was with my dad, and I wouldn't have wanted it to be anybody else. And I didn't want to take that because I knew how special it was for me, and I didn't want to take that from Corey and Walker. So I've been kind of, you know, standing in the, at the back of the room, kind of pushing him too forward. And, and you know, now that he's got his first one out of the way, I'm sure I'll be taking him deer hunting, but. I wanted him and Corey to to be there for that first one. Yeah, fantastic. So special week, um, you know, that all this happened. And I know a lot of people are wondering about the boys coming and hunting shotgun season with you. Uh, you let them, you let them hunt, you know, your farm during you season. The plan was for them to come back and hunt shotgun in Illinois because they could use their same tag for, for the gun season. But unfortunately, you weren't feeling uh, above weather. I know you were feeling a little bad and a little bit sick. Even though you uh, were still able to come do the podcast, you wouldn't shake anybody's hand and kind of kept your distance. But yeah. we have to be, uh, for all sake, we have to be very careful about what kind of you know sickness we expose around Andrea right now and having the boys and Corey come. Uh, so are they, you know, are they going to plan on trying to come for a late shotgun? Is that the plan, or you still don't know yet? Well, that that youth tag is only good for the first gun season. It's uh, not okay. good for the second, or they would be here. But, yeah, I mean, I felt good enough I could have took them hunting, but I still felt bad. And the last thing we wanted was to take a chance on somebody getting sick and taking it back to Andrea. And right. She's our number one priority right now for all of us. And well, there'll so, be plenty of time and opportunities for those boys. But fantastic yeah. news that your grandson got his got his first buck. Good job, Corey. I know that was a special moment for you. Let's transition real quick to the Osseo Spotlight. This is a little bit of a different circumstance. This is one of our good Amish friends that obviously is not in the picture, but he wanted to submit his his photo for Joe Miles to be considered. So he took his Osseo jacket off on and laid it beside it. So 
pretty cool that our Amish community still even gets to um, to to submit and participate with showing off their buck, even when they're not comfortable being in the photo. I think it's really cool. Yeah, you know, I've seen a lot of photos um, from Amish folks that of their bucks that don't have the hunter in the photo. But this is, I've got to say, this is one of the best photos I've ever seen without the hunter in it, with the buck just there. It's got the setting sun there. You know, the, the rack is silhouetted against the sky. Um, just a beautiful picture. Uh, but I actually know Matt Schmucker. I um, consulted on a property for him, not the property where he shot this buck, but uh, um, just a great guy and, and really happy for him. This buck looks like a typical 6x6 six six, um, with some extra brows. And if I remember right, I think it scores in the 180s. But yeah. uh, got the Osseo laying there on the ground by the buck, too. So yeah. just kind of a fitting uh, picture for the Osseo spotlight. Yeah. So um, Matt sent me a text, and he's like, he, he asked, he goes, how can, uh, how can we still submit it? He was worried that Joe wouldn't consider it since he wasn't in the photo. And Joe's like, absolutely not. He's like, this is an awesome story. So this was a target buck that they named Splits. And Matt said that with the wind and weather right, the gut feeling was all aligned. And along with my wife, I had the hunt of a lifetime. So pretty pretty cool there. It sounded like they, they played their cards right on a target buck and it came together. But what a great photo also. I mean, that setting sun looking out over the ag field with it sitting there in the grass. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fantastic photo. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and, and circle back to one of the hot topics of last week's podcast, and that was we said that the weather was going to be lining up for a fantastic uh, Illinois shotgun season, which was last sat Friday, Saturday, Sunday, especially Saturday, mm -hmm. with rising pressure and temperatures plummeting. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how many big bucks were killed. You know, we've seen that Saturday morning thing coming a few days in advance with the uh, Weather Underground uh, website, um, which uh, charts the temperature, wind speeds, barometric pressure, and I don't know, a couple other things. But looking at that chart, it was just all lining up for Saturday morning. And we recorded the podcast, what, a couple days before that? Thursday and night, I believe. So we we seen that Wednesday coming. We Thursday. predicted, we predicted how good Saturday was going to be, and boy, it didn't disappoint. That was probably the premier day of the rut this year. If I had to pick a day where the the activity was off the charts across the whole Midwest, it would have been that Saturday. I think it was the 18th. Yeah, the two guys that were in town from Kentucky with me. Uh, both shot bucks, Patrick Simpson and Brandon Epperson, both shot bucks that morning. I had probably one of the best mornings in the woods. I would say top five in my hunting career, uh, just because of the amount of deer chasing. I think I saw over 20 deer and 12 bucks just that morning alone. So that, that whole weekend really set up, um, I haven't looked in to see what the harvest numbers were for the first shotgun season, if they were high or what, but based on those guys taking their bucks to like our good friend, Brian Teets at, at uh, the processing plant. Um, I know he had a lot of deer. Um, just um, I'm guessing that the numbers were really high, but 
you know, the, the crazy thing is watching social media, there was a lot of really big bucks killed. Yeah, there was. I, I've heard of several processors that couldn't take any more deer yep. because their freezers were full. Yeah. Well, very cool. Congratulations to those. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because we're coming out of that rut. Um, what I'm really watching for right now is for really cold weather to set in. Um, I think you and I both are, uh, are at the point now that we're hopeful that with our nutrition program that's put in and all the food plot diversity, the best thing that could happen for my property in Kentucky, the property in Illinois, and then your home farm, uh, right now with the food programs that we have is for it to set in and get cold and cold for a long period of time. Right. You know, uh, this podcast is going to air on the 26th of November there's what I'm seeing right now I've seen it the last two evenings is these much and I've seen it on my cameras the last couple of days as well I'm seeing a lot of mature buck activity these bucks are out cruising the does are they're no longer locked down with the does and in the evenings these mature bucks are following the does right out into the the food sources the fields where they're feeding and, and that's going to continue I think uh, for at least two or three more days so if you're listening to this on Sunday, there's still going to be two or three or four more days of good hunting. Now, as we go through next week, each day is going to be just a little bit worse than the previous. It's going to taper off, and those bucks are going to lay up, as they often do in early December, uh, recoup from the rut a little bit, and then that cold weather is going to be the key. You, you hit that perfect, Terry. So uh, talk a little bit about your rut report. How long will that continue to go? Um, I assume you're still doing that. Yeah, I, I posted one this evening, but that's the last one I'm posting. I, I, I explained why I think things aren't going to change much from day to day. And I explained what, like I just did here, that the, the pattern we're on where these bucks are, are actively searching for does during daylight hours right now. And that's going to taper off across the next week. A week from now when we record next week, it's going to be a totally different story. Right. All right. So before we move on, I, I want to uh, make a couple comments about something different. But while we're talking about the uh, rut report, let's segue over to the Whitetail Master Academy. I think you put some promotional stuff out there for Black Friday and talk a little bit about that. Let people know what's going on. Um, they might be able to save a little bit of money and for how long? Yeah, we've got a sale going to the end of the month and to be honest, I don't even remember what the percentage off is, but uh, the white, if you go to the Whitetail Master Academy website, just simply whitetailmasteracademy.com, um, you can learn more. You can also see some free videos on there, um, get a good feel for what we have to offer. But uh, we put a new video out every week. All the old videos that we've ever produced are on there so that you can refer back to them. You can watch every video that we've, we've ever put on there. Um, give you can give this as a christmas gift or whatever and one of the big selling points is that members get discounts on certain products so i know quiet cat bike remember they had the 40 percent off quiet cat bikes here for members only uh well it was also our consulting clients but uh you know one of the reasons we started the whitetail master academy was i get so many comments from people that cannot afford to have a consultant come to their property so one of the things we do is we produce uh, uh, 
property design videos. Steve Shields goes with me on consulting visits, and uh, we do it across the country, different states, different size properties, real big ones, real small ones, everything in between. He takes his drone along. We get drone footage from the air, and uh, we lay out the entire plan, the same plan that the client gets. You're, you get to see it. So um, for the money, I've been told many people, Joe Miles has said it, West Elks has said it, that it, we're not charging near enough, but uh, we want to make it affordable for everybody. So go to the Whitetail Master Academy and check it out. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, before we do our listener submitted questions, I want to thank a podcast listener, um, Stephen Stolfus. Um, for I know Don, you you've known him for a while. He's been mm -hmm. a, a big supporter of the Lester's Feet organization through uh, different past raffles and stuff. But I wanted to, you know, he's not a sponsor. He didn't ask us for anything. He actually sent a, a calendar to us or to me, uh, that they made for their company, Stormy Ridge Metal Roofing. And the reason I wanted to bring it up, it's kind of the same message that you talked about in the Babe video. It's it's using whatever platform you have to be a ministry, be an example. And I wanted to give this guy a shout-out on the podcast because, you know, we're all used to the people watching on YouTube right now can see, you know, I'm holding up a business card. This is a normal thing that all of us have that, you know, tells about our company, but this little pamphlet right here, I think is really cool. I've never seen anything like this, and it's the same size as the business card that came. And what I like so much about it is he's defining his company and service standards, but he's also using it as a ministry. So he has outlined 12 different core values that he runs his company by. And not only does this, is it a marketing tool for his company, but I think it's an also a great witness. You know, it, it talks about being cleanliness on the job site, being attentive, uh, taking ownership in your work, going above and beyond, being peaceful, respectful, uh, positive, prompt, showing value, being an inspiration, and also uh, treating others as you would. Um, I just think what a great example from Stephen. Thank you so much for sending me the calendar, but. I know you didn't ask for this, but this is what I'm talking about. When you can use whatever you're doing in life to set an example and, and help others, whether it's just, you know, encouragement, whatever, uh, there's a lot of similarities with this organization of Stevens and Cornerstone where I went to work about our core values. And, you know, I, I've said it on here before, the owners of Cornerstone basically looked at me and said, your first priority is to minister to the community and our employees through this business. I think there's more of these companies out there than what we know. And how cool is it that, that everybody kind of rallies together? Steven actually bought a piece of equipment from Cornerstone. He's in northern Indiana from this week, and I, I, I show appreciate. He probably even paid more for it than what he could if, after the shipping and everything, but... He wanted to support me and, and our business, and I just think it's so fantastic that faith-based conservative organizations that want to do business the right way network together like this. Just So I wanted to give Stephen a little bit of a shout-out on this. Uh, he's been 
been a blessing to me and I hope that uh, that little shout out. So for people looking for uh, roofing around the Indiana area, I don't know how far he travels. Give Stephen a call if you're looking for that. The office number is 765-576-1436. They're in Lynn, Indiana. So I know he didn't think I would do that, but somebody sets an example like that, I want to showcase him a little bit. I actually know Stephen, um, another consulting client. I've, I've met some of the greatest people consulting, and we're yep. going to talk about another one at the end of this podcast. But Stephen made a huge contribution to the Lester's Feet raffle that we had a couple years ago. Yep. Uh, just a great guy, and, uh, you know, you're getting to see what what I've known for a couple of years now is, you know, his values. Um, he he does business the way he lives, um, and I think you're right, Terry. I think there's there's more of these businesses out there than we realize. But the thing of it is, is we seem to, and that's how we try to run our businesses. We we seem to kind of attract the same type of mindset. I think think in in business and in life in general. Um, you know, we typically hang around people that have the same values that we do, and we like to do business with companies that have the same values we do. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> hanging around. Who you hang around with and who you associate with is a very hot topic with me and you right now. We're not going into it on the podcast, <laughs> but who you associate with can, can either build you up or tear you down. And uh, for those who are on the other side of it, you need to look in the mirror a little bit right now. Um, Don and I have a situation, specifically Don, um, instead of getting mouthy about it on the podcast, we're just going to pray for a young individual that's got some important decisions that they have to make. And hopefully, um, hopefully some things change. But um, thank you, Stephen. Um, you know, Cornerstone has obviously been a big risk. I shouldn't say risk, that's the wrong word, but a big move in my career. And I hope to use that as also a blessing for the hunting community and with our land consulting clients, the uh, Whitetail Master Academy. So we're going to figure out a way to add uh, discounts on equipment uh, through this. Um, you know, obviously it's a, something that I have at my disposal to be a blessing to those people who support us with our, you know, company outreaches. So I'm going to be able to do that. So, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, announce that as we get a little bit further along. Um, I'm already talking to wildlife farming about how we can work together at it. So, uh, hopefully have some news on that. So you ready to go to our first question of the week? I'm ready. And the first one comes from, Nicholas Cross from Brownsburg, Indiana. And he says, if you kill a doe with twin buck fawns, will those buck fawns attach to another doe? If so, would that doe kick them out like mama would? Nicholas, I can t I'm not going to say it never happens, but it, it would be very rare um, that a, a doe gets killed and her fawns, you know, start attaching to another doe and, you know, nursing on her. Now, I do think that they will you know, follow around a group of other deer, but for one doe to take them over as her own, uh, that that is going to be a very, very rare situation. So she would not have any part in, you know, kicking them out and causing them to disperse to another area. Although, uh, you know, they to some degree they might anyway, but that maternal aggression is not going to be there. 
Don, talk a little bit about. I don't. I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast. When does a fawn actually wean off the mom? Well, late winter, typically. Um, I mean, this time of the year, a lot of fawns are still nursing. But are they? Yeah, you know, we start getting into to like January. Um, they'll naturally wean off. You know, because the my head's going at you know. Uh, when you know you're in lockdown is when there's fawns out in the food plots eating mm-hmm. with no mature does around them. Right. Yeah, you because know, that buck's already pushed them. So they're not completely dependent once we get to this, you know, November comes around. They're not completely dependent on the mother at that point because their mom's off being bred for the next year. Mm-hmm. They're they're at the food plot every night. So I was wondering, you know, when, when they stop really needing um, the mom to survive. Well, at three months of age, they can survive on their own pretty easy. And probably a little bit before that under ideal conditions. But, you know, if they're born the 1st of June, by the 1st of September, they could survive on their own easy enough. Yeah. It's it's an interesting topic, you know, especially as we approach late season and people are trying to do their doe management. And we've talked about the twin buck fawn philosophy here on the podcast quite a bit. And I think it's a... Uh, a great question for this time of year don't you yeah you know yesterday evening i was sitting in a stand and uh a group of does well actually there was just four of them it was uh two does and and two fawns came out and uh i got the binoculars out and i started looking those fawns over and they were both button buck fawns and so i was sitting there trying to determine which doe those two button bucks belonged to and uh I never did get it figured out, and they didn't come by me anyway. But uh, if they would have, if I would have figured it out, and they'd have come close enough for a shot, one of them does would have probably, you know, took an arrow. Right. Well, great question. Thanks for submitting. It. We've we've heard over the last week how many new listeners that we have. If you notice, we're getting a lot of questions every week, and a lot of people are saying that they just found the podcast. So, Don, before we read number t- uh, the second question, while I'm getting this plugged up for the screen for YouTube, talk about uh, how to submit a question and what you get in return when we use yours on air. Yeah, I'll just go to ChasingGiants.com. There's a form to fill out. Um, we've been getting a lot of forms filled out that are not complete. And to, we're getting enough questions now that we, we can't, we don't have time to be chasing people down to get their address and and that and uh so if if your form is not completely filled out and the reason we do that is because we send you a free t-shirt if we use your question that's why we want your mailing address we're not going to send you a bunch of junk mail but if we use your question you get a free chasing giants t-shirt it's got all our sponsors logos on the back of it and uh so we need that form completely filled out okay and chasinggiants.com also for amish Mennonite community that listening on MTech, if you can't get to the internet, tell them where they can mail a uh, written question. Yeah, the the written uh, option, you just uh, send your, your question on a piece of paper, but also, again, include your complete name and mailing address. Um, send it to Real World Wildlife Products, Post Office Box 55 in Arthur, Illinois, and the zip code is 61911. I bet I get asked a question three days a week. How do I submit a question? So this might yep. alleviate a couple of them this week. So on to question number two. 
This one comes from Kirk Gibson from Vicksburg, Michigan. Uh, he says, Hi, Don. I have a question around hiring one of your team members from the Dream Team to do a land consulting visit to my family's property here in Michigan. I know many listeners can probably relate to my question, so I figured it was worth asking. How do I go about convincing my dad and brother that the investment in hiring you or one of your team members would be worth it? We all have shot good bucks here in Michigan, but I want to take it to the next level and make our property even better than it is. They want to as well, but don't want to pull the trigger on hiring a consultant because of the financial investment. How should I approach this conversation with trying to get them bought in as well? <laughs> well, Kirk, uh, I'm not a very good salesman. You're asking me to sell my own product here. And I'm one of them guys that you either want it or you don't. If you don't, I'm not going to try to talk you into it. So, you know, it really comes down to a couple things. First of all, your finances. There's, there's some people that it's just not a, a good uh, um, investment. Um, if you've got to, uh, you know, take money away from something else more important, it's not a good investment. If you've got to save your money over a long period of time to hire a whitetail consultant, you would probably be better off doing something else with that money, just being honest. Um, in that case, uh, maybe you should just join the Whitetail Master Academy and watch some of those videos for a fraction of the cost, and you can apply some of that to your property. Um, but, you know, if the finances are there, the the thing that the selling point could be, you know, we've invested all this money in land, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars if it's a very sizable piece at all. And what you're going to pay for a consulting visit is probably about what one acre of ground would cost you. So, so think about it. if you've got, a, say, an 80-acre property, for the cost of one more acre, you might save shave 10 years off the learning curve on that 80-acre piece. And instead of, you know, going through 10 years of trial and error, you know, within a couple of years, you're shooting the kind of bucks you want to shoot. Um, so I'm not going to give you the hard sales pitch. You need to weigh the positives and the negatives. Negatives being it's going to cost you a chunk of money. Another negative is you might have, you might hear some things you don't want to hear from one of the consultants. Um, they may tell you you're doing everything wrong. You need to just totally scrap what you're doing and start over and that can be a tough pill for some to swallow another negative is and i think in your situation you've got this is that you've got multiple hunters on the same property if you don't have buy-in from everybody in the group one person can ruin the whole plan so you you got to have buy-in from everybody but if you do have buy-in if you do have the finances to do it then the selling point needs to become these guys can come in and overnight basically give us a plan that will shave several years off the learning curve and have us shooting the biggest bucks on our property in short order. Yep. Great question. Great answer. You don't want to chime in on that one, Terry, being a consultant? Well, I think you answered it perfectly. I, I have a hard time. I don't even like sharing pictures of my consultants bucks because I don't want to make it about me. I want to make it about them. So, you know, I congratulate them and share in that, in that, uh, success, but 
it, it really comes down to how quickly do you want to get where you need to go. And uh, your statement that you made that sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow, this gentleman said, we've already killed good bucks, but we want to take it to the next level. Sometimes you need a fresh set of eyes to change or take something to the next level or else you're just going to resort in the way you've always done it. So it's really hard to go to the next level, like he just said, when you keep doing things the exact same way. Um, that's where having an outside set of eyes that, and you know, the, the other thing we try to do is the sponsor discounts that you get when you hire us pretty much offset the cost of us. If you're going to make any investment in blinds, bikes, you know, what have you, um, over a period of time, you will receive more discount value than what our initial charge was. That's the biggest reasons we have sponsors to our umbrella of Higgins Outdoors with Chasing Giants, the Consulting, and the Whitetail Master Academy. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like to do a hard sell. Good grief, there's a, a consultant behind every tree in the Midwest these days. So I'm not gonna say we're better, we're worse. Um, I think everybody just has to be with who they're most comfortable with and align who you're using with the goals that you want to achieve on your property. So, Well, make sure the, the person you're hiring has achieved what you're striving to achieve. I mean, if they haven't, how are they going to show you how to be successful if they haven't been successful themselves? And I don't mean that as a slam on anyone but there's a lot of consultants out there and there's some good ones, but there's also plenty that, that need a little bit more time in the woods before they start hiring or putting their shingle out and, and collecting money from people for their advice. Yeah. I will say that while we're talking about consulting, my calendar is almost all the way full. Um, if you want on the docket, you need to reach out to any of the members on the Dream Team that you're considering ASAP because uh, I know Don's schedule is full with what he's got going on this year. I know Wes, um, the others are in the same boat. So if you're interested in that, you need to get with us as soon as possible. So this one comes from Chad Horetsky from Bad Axe, Michigan. Well, I'd like to live in a town named Bad Axe, wouldn't you, Terry? <laughs> I've it's got to be better than gays <laughs> where I live. <laughs> um, Chad says, Don and Terry, thank you both for all you do. I really appreciate how real you can be in the hunting industry. My question is, what would you do if your target buck came into range and he had half his rack broken off? I had this happen to me on the opener of gun season and I let him walk. I hear some people say that if you're hunting a certain age class of a buck, then what does the rack matter? They would shoot it because they were able to harvest a mature whitetail. I just do not feel that this gives the buck the respect that it deserves. I know I could have shot my target deer, so I don't need a busted up dead deer to prove that. What are your guys' thoughts on this topic? Well, Chad, my thoughts are right in line with yours. I think you're on target, but it's not my place to make that decision for other hunters. If they're happy, you know, I guess they should shoot it. But uh, I just, I'm with you. I don't see the need to shoot a buck with a busted up rack. Um, I got enough deer on my wall, though. That I don't think that there's a wrong answer to this. This is up to the hunter. No, I don't either. 
Um, I just, whatever you're comfortable with. I quit hunting a deer last year because he broke his off, but, and he got, mm -hmm. he, he disappeared. He probably got shot somewhere. I'll never have a chance to hunt him because I didn't shoot it. Um, I think you can, I think they can actually repair the antler. If you have pictures mm -hmm. of it, they can make kind of the replica, rebuild it, but it, it's your choice. Don't uh, do you, you sound like that you've already made up your mind. I think you just, there's nothing wrong with your decision and there's nothing wrong with somebody mm -hmm. that would have let the air out of it. I don't know. I think we overcomplicate things sometimes and look for validation in a decision. I think I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I think a lot of times we expect other people to follow our ethical choices. And, and in hunting, I think that there's I, – I'm not sure there's any two of us that have the very same ethics. And what I think is unethical – someone else may have no problem with it uh, an example there, there's guys out there that think trail cameras are unethical but here i am using trail cameras so you know i'm doing things that other people would consider unethical by using trail cameras now I, i'm not doing anything illegal but i think that we just uh and to be honest to be brutally honest and kind of critique myself when i was younger i was probably as bad as anyone about thinking that everybody should be following a certain set of ethical guidelines and as i've got older i think i've softened my stance on that and i've and some of it is of that has been the people that i've been that i hang around i've learned that i think we we've said it did on a recent podcast what's in a man's hand is not near as important as what's in his heart and there are ethical, there are good principled ethical people out there using every piece of equipment you could imagine. And there's also unethical dirt bags out there using every piece of equipment you can imagine. So I think we just got to kind of uh, take a step back. And as long as people are following the game laws, uh, you know, give each other a little bit of slack and, and not try to force our views on, on everyone. Yeah. Everybody's sitting there scratching their head saying, I can't believe you just said that after he went on a rant about crossbows a couple of weeks ago, but yeah. And people, people, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. people have to understand <laughs> the purpose of that rant was to say the consequences of what those decisions were. It was, you weren't telling anybody to make up their own mind. And I, I see, I say this all the time, and people miss this part of the whole sentence. I am against crossbows in archery season for able-bodied people. That does not mean I'm against crossbows in archery season for people that have physical limitations. Absolutely. That does not mean I'm against crossbows for able-bodied people, just not in archery season. If you're able-bodied, you want to shoot a crossbow, do it during the gun season. But, yeah, but everybody wants to make me anti-crossbow. I'm not anti-crossbow. I'm anti-crossbow for able-bodied people in archery season. <laughs> That's my exact point. People want to twist it. It, it comes down yeah. to, it comes down to <laughs> don't look at someone else to justify your logic. You need to make, be a grown person and make the decision. I think, uh, you know, especially on shooting a busted up rack, you know, the, the conversations are limitless using drones to pattern deer. 
Uh, there's people that listen to this podcast that are passionate about using a drone to fly over, you know, pieces of property to figure out where deer's betting at. And my opinion's completely opposite of that. But that doesn't mean I'm going to say that that's wrong. It's just what you, mm-hmm. what you feel is right for you. And I want everybody to know, I called a gentleman today, invited him to hunt on my farm that I know is going to bring a crossbow. And you know what? I, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. Nope. So you guys that want to get on social media and blast Don Higgins because he's anti-crossbow and I'm never supporting, I won't listen to Chasing Giants because Don Higgins don't like crossbows, blah, blah, blah. I got an opinion, but that doesn't mean I don't respect your right to have your opinion. And it can be what totally was, opposite of mine. What was that, uh, the uh, customer service clause or satisfaction clause that you, you always say that if uh, – if you're not happy, we'll be be sure to refund your money for what we charge you to listen to this or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a full refund if, if you're not happy. That's what we say. You All get right. what you pay for. That's another one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Next question comes from Francis Stark from Bonnets Hill, Missouri. Says, Dear Don and Terry, always a pleasure listening to the podcast. I have a buck that normally shows up during or around the same date in November and stays long enough to find his sheds. I have seen him a couple miles away in velvet, assuming he summers in that area. The deer is four this year, and with the poor growing season, didn't put many inches on from three to four. My food sources this year are not too good. If I would supplemental feed all the deer could eat after season until next year when the food source is more abundant what is the chance he would stick around hopefully the growing season is better next year prayers for your family during this tough time god bless thank you well francis i think the question that you're asking is you want to change this buck's pattern his home range if you will apparently this buck has a separate uh, spring summer range and he has a fall winter range and you're trying to keep him on that fall winter winter range once he shows up on your property in the fall um, he's staying through the winter anyway long enough to shed his antlers and you want to keep him there where you can supplemental feed him all summer hopefully so he'll grow a rack next year i don't think from that well i don't i, I know that most bucks, most mature bucks especially, there's almost nothing you can do to make them shift their range. Um, once it's set, it's set, and, and I can't explain it. I, I've seen bucks that spent their summer on secluded private ground with almost no human intrusion, and then come fall, they up and peck up and move to public ground a mile or two away, and they spend their the most vulnerable months of the year where the hunting pressure is the highest, and, and there's just no figuring it out. And I, I just think that once a buck has a pattern, has his range established, and his pattern, I mean, some bucks stay in the same range all year round. They don't have a separate summer and, and fall range. And, but I think once they do, I, I don't know if there's anything you can do to change it. The next one comes from... Justin Rue from Willard, Ohio says, Dear Don, just finished watching the Babe video. All I can say is, wow, what a great story. 
During that video, you mentioned Babe stepped out of the switchgrass field like so many other bucks had done before. What is it about that particular spot that they like to exit right there? Prayers to both your families, and thank you both for a great podcast and the work with Lester's Feet. Happy holidays, Justin. Well, Justin, the guys that have been to the my whitetail master class held on my farm know exactly this spot. Um, we spend considerable time standing there in front of the smoky blind, um, and, and these guys get to see where the dominant buck on my farm beds every year. It just happens every year. So I've got uh, some bucks that I'm hoping survive right now till next year. Um, I know which one of those is going to be the dominant buck because he is right now. He's he's a four-year-old, and the other good ones that I'm trying to keep alive are three-year-olds. If that buck is alive next fall, I know exactly where he's going to bed because the dominant buck on the farm does it every single fall. And what it is in that switchgrass field, there's a little, I, I don't know if you call it a swale or a little drainage um, ravine almost. And the bucks like to bed down in that little bowl, um, not down in the bottom of that bowl, but on the side of that bowl. And when they come out of that switchgrass, um, whenever I'm hunting that smoky blind, I'm hunting with a northwest wind, and those bucks are coming out with a wind quartering right into their nose. They like to bed there because of the security. Uh, that's afforded them there it's kind of out down out of the weather too so i'm sure it can be a a very very windy day and a buck that's bedded in that switchgrass in that bowl is out of that wind and then when he does get up to move before dark he's moving with a quartering nose wind which is something that a mature buck would be comfortable doing and that's why they do it and it's it's a pattern. I, I promise you, When if you guys haven't seen the babe video yet, there's other bucks that I've shot right here at this same spot. I'm, I'm thinking uh, Smokey was shot at this spot. That's how we call, why we call it the Smokey Blind. Um, the 6 by 6 by 6 buck was shot at this spot. Um, my niece, Sydney, shot a really good buck out of this spot a few years ago that was we did a video on. Um, shot the 10 year old out of that blind yeah there's just a bunch of bucks that have been shot out of this spot now they weren't all doing the very same thing but the ones on the afternoon hunts were just about all doing the same thing they were coming out of that switchgrass with a yeah the year we passed mel the video footage yep he walked out the exact same place that babe did in the babe video you can go back and compare the Mel video when we when you passed him and I was running the camera to the Babe video, and it's the exact same spot where they came out. Yep. We are going to, when Steve Shields shows up next time, we're going to do a switchgrass video on switchgrass myths because there are so many fallacies out there being promoted about switchgrass, and I can blow them away. And I'm going to blow them away with video footage of mature bucks. I'm not going to be spouting opinions like some of these people do. I'm going to show you multiple mature bucks doing things with switchgrass that people say they oh they they won't do that in switchgrass. Switchgrass is a pure stand of switchgrass is too thick. You need to diversify and 
blah, 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 and some other things that I won't get into here because I don't want to spoil the video, but uh, there's going to be video footage of multiple giants in the switchgrass, and I'm going to blow away some of these ideas that, that are being promoted out there. Get your get your subscription to the Whitetail Master Academy to see it. All right, last question of the night. This one comes from Jacob Schulte from West Point, Iowa. So thank you both for the great podcast. Thoughts and prayers for both of your families through all the challenges and changes. If there is a video for this or previous podcast, sorry, and please let me know. didn't know what your guys' window management is in your 360 blinds, such as when do you open them. Do you open some early where you expect deer? Do you wait until you see deer, etc.? I do have 360s. I know everyone might not. P.S. Ed Weaver is a great guy. Uh, just so people know, Ed Weaver is like the Midwest distributor for 360. Um so I now have, uh, what do I got? One, two, three, Trying to count. Four, five, I got two new ones. Six, well, I got six. Six on the home farm. I think I got six or seven 360 blinds, and I've had them seven. for several years now. Typically, when I enter the blind, I'm going to open at least two windows where I would most expect to be shooting out of. Um, I, I've got a, a camera arm mounted to the side of the inside of the blind that I stick my camera arm on. And, and I usually, uh, first thing I do when I get in there is I put my camera arm in that mount that's screwed to the wall and get my camera pointed out one of those two windows that I'm most expecting to get a shot out of. Typically I will leave those two windows open. If it's really hot, I may open others. But uh, I typically leave those two open. If it's got to be really, really cold for me to leave the windows shut. Um, the one good thing about the 360s is they've started uh, having uh, double windows. So you know the the windows are tinted on those, which is great until you get down towards dusk, and then you know it's darker in that blind, and you look at you're looking through that tinted glass, and you can't see very well. Well. Now they have double windows, so they got the, the tinted window, but they also they got a clear pane, so you can open up the the tinted part and, and still have a clear window there um, to seal in uh, your scent or also to hold in the, the heat if it's cold out. So so that's an option that uh, I really like. And the new blinds, I, I've, some of my blinds I've got on my property have that, some don't, but uh, that's typically what I do. But I'll I'll say this, those windows are the best window system out there by a long shot. And more than once, I've had deer in front of me within 20 yards, and I've been able to open those windows quietly without, you know, spooking a deer whatsoever. So that's kind of how I do it. Yep. All right, well, fantastic. That's the last question of the night. We're going to... Um... As we close the podcast out tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about another situation and ask for prayers. But before we do that, I didn't ask you about this. Did you get a text message from our um, our friend Amber Harrison today? I got one from Andy. Okay. So I got yeah. text messages from both of them. A Amber killed a buck. Uh, I believe that they've been tracking since 2017-18. 
um, yep. on a on a property. So congratulations, Amber and Andy came to the master class. We got to go out to dinner with them afterwards. They've become really good friends and supporters of the podcast. So I love seeing that picture of her cheesing up behind that big old mature buck uh, last night. So congratulations to them. Yeah, they stayed for church when they came to the class. They stayed and went to church with us the next day. And uh, yep. I think this is Amber's second buck of the season, actually. So, I believe so. And she's got an Iowa gun tag here. What is that, next week? Iowa gun season? So next weekend. She may kill three giants this year. All right. Well, to close the podcast up, I'm going to share my screen and let Don talk for just a little bit and uh, close out the podcast as we go. So we appreciate everyone's prayers and concern for this family that we're going to talk about now. Yeah, folks, I got a very special prayer request that uh, I wanted to put this at the beginning of the podcast, but the more I thought about it, I didn't want anybody to forget by the time the podcast ended to pray for this family. Um a few years ago, I did a consulting visit for a gentleman in Missouri, Kyle Birch. And as so many of my clients do, he be, Kyle became a very good friend of mine. And uh, we are in constant contact. You know, there, it's hardly two days in a row goes by that we don't get a text um, or we text each other. Um, we even be, have become business partners. But... Uh, just this past week, Kyle lost his son, his 27-year-old son, Hunter, and uh, a very, very tough situation for this family. You know, here we are at Thanksgiving, and, you know, most of us are sitting around um, being thankful for whatever, you know, that, that our family's, you know, still all together, and everybody was able to show up for Thanksgiving or whatever, and this Thanksgiving season, Kyle and his family are going through the worst nightmare that I can ever imagine as a parent. Um, they're planning the, the funeral of their their son, their brother, uh, grandson, Hunter, which will take place on, on Monday, um, the day after this podcast is released. And I, I'm telling you, Kyle is just a, a, a first-class person. He, he's the He's part of the Chasing Giants family. He's one of my better friends. And I, I just would like for the entire Chasing Giants family to, to please pray for Kyle and his family because they are living the worst, a parent's worst nightmare right now. And uh, there's, I, I know when my daughter came down with cancer, a few days after, you know, the information got out and, all these people started telling me they was praying uh, a sense of peace come over me and, and what Kyle is going through is so much worse than what I'm going through and I, I I know that prayers are answered and I know that the only way that Kyle and his family are ever going to know peace through this situation is through Jesus and and that's the the hope that they can see their son again in heaven it's probably the only thing that's keeping these folks going. So please take a moment and pray for Kyle Birch and his family. Keep them on your prayer list. He's going to be facing some rough days here in the near future and probably for some time. I just can't imagine ever getting over a situation like this. So please pray for Kyle Birch and his family and keep them in your prayers. There's um, There's one thing that unites us all. And that's deer hunting, but 
uh, when we can use it to support one another um, in times like this, I think the power of what we're doing here goes far beyond what a mature buck does when he gets up out of his bed and how we hunt him. So we appreciate everybody rallying around this family and believing in what we're doing, whether it's the babe video or us going on a political rant or, or even taking a moment to encourage a family that just lost their son. Um, we don't want to always end the podcast on kind of a somber note, but this is something that means a lot to Don and I to use this as a ministry. So we really appreciate it. Sign or soft. God bless everyone. I hope you have a great week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.